Welcome to season one of the Overcomers Podcast. We are going to talk to you about overcoming adversity and living your dreams. If you've ever struggled, this is for you. We're going to talk to you about such struggles as drug addiction, relationship struggles, parenting struggles, incarceration, being displaced from your home. We're even going to touch on things such as sexual assault, or even if you just struggle with finding your purpose, finding your passion, being part of a community, this is for you. Like I said, if you've ever struggled, this is for you. So welcome to the Overcomers Podcast, where we're going to help you to overcome the adversities of life and live your dreams. Yo, 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 it's your girl and boy, CT. Coming at you, I'm Travis Barnes. And I'm Cindy Barnes. And we are the founders of Journey 333 and the founders of the Overcomer Podcast. We are sponsored by Journey 333, which is a place of mind, body, spirit, fitness, coaching, and nutrition, helping you to look better, live better, and feel better. Today, we got a rock star in the house. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Todd Durkin. He is our friend. He is our mentor. For those that may not know Todd Durkin, which it would be, I don't know where you've been hiding if you don't know him yet, but let me tell you, this man is amazing. He has Fitness Quest 10 out in San Diego, California. He has been a trainer to many professional athletes, including Drew Brees, LaDaniel Tomlinson. I would say that his studio is a bit like an NFL combine at times, and also a baseball and, and uh, MMA and all kinds of things. You know, he's an author. He's an international, worldwide, world-renowned presenter, and we are super lucky to have him on the show. Todd Bergen, welcome to the show. (laughs) Travis, Cindy, thanks for the introduction. It's awesome to be here. Thank you for creating the Overcomer Show. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pumped up. Awesome. Awesome. Well, the Overcomer Show is about overcoming adversity and living your dreams. Mm. And I think a lot of people see you, Todd, and they don't know about the adversities. They see you up on the stage, you know, maybe like I did way back in, I think it was 2010. I was like, oh, I like that guy. I'd like to do what he's doing. But in order to do what you're doing, people might need to go where you've been. So let's talk about where you've been. If we can just dive right in, you know, Todd, you weren't born with a silver spoon in your mouth, were you? No, definitely not. And I will, I will say this, Travis and Cindy, when I met you guys back then, um, I am an, an optimist. I am an eternal optimist. And I am wired that way. That doesn't mean things are easy or always have been easy. But I do tend to look at things on the bright side, even when I'm going through a struggle or a challenge, heck, even today and throughout the pandemic of like, what are we going to do to find a way out of this? Um, so when I get bad news, I'll typically allow myself maybe a few day, a few days, a few hours, or even a few minutes to feel sorry for myself. But sooner or later, I got to flip that switch and, and overcome whatever it may be. And, and today we could talk about some of those things because there's been some things that have happened in my lifetime that have been tougher to overcome than others, whether it be business or personal. And, um, and whatever you want to go into today, I'm, I'm, I'm fair game. Well, I like where you're talking about being an optimist and seeing the opportunities, because I believe that we have these divine opportunities in life that are disguised as challenges. They're disguised as adversities. Mm. But sometimes our adversities become our advantage. Like Mm -hmm. when I mentioned you not being born with a silver spoon in your mouth, you know, I was thinking about the fact that when you were in school, you had uh, lunch assistance. You mentioned it in your book, uh, the Powell book, you know, two weeks of wow. So. 
you know what's interesting when you're growing up? You don't know if you're poor, you're rich, really. You don't know. You're just, you are what you are, right? And I was the youngest, and I am the youngest of eight kids. I have five sisters. I have two brothers. Mom and dad got divorced when I was five years old. And, um, and we didn't have much money at all to the point where I was the lunch ticket kid. And I was embarrassed to have lunch tickets because I did know that those orange tickets that would stuff in my pocket, um, that meant that you didn't have a lot of money. I get emotional now because of the work that I've had to do on my own self personally dealing with money um, because I knew growing up that to put food on the table for my mom uh, was tough and it was challenging. And, and um, when dad, dad moved away, well, I grew up in New Jersey. Uh, I just remember that embarrassment in front of my own friends having to give, was it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday, which lunch ticket was it? So I could get a subsidized lunch. Um, and that work ethic instilled in me at a young age, even though I didn't know I was necessarily, Hey, I thought I was like everyone else. Um, it installed the work ethic in me that I think is pretty unique. And that I've always been that way and wired that way to the point of, I, I, I remain on lunch tickets to the day I graduated high school. We never had money growing up um, at all. And I was fortunate enough to get a, a scholarship to go to college. I knew sports was my way out because we didn't have money to afford college, but I knew I was a pretty good athlete. I knew that football um, could provide me some opportunities because I came from a powerhouse football program in New Jersey. I had a, a football coach who was a father-like figure. He was a, a massive mentor in my life. And um, he took me under his wing when I was in middle school and I happened to get a, a Pop Warner All-American award. And he knew that I was going to be someone special if I had the right coaching. And uh, I had the right coaches around me from a young age, challenging me, pushing me, lifting me up um, to the point where I earned a, a college scholarship. And uh, that afforded me the opportunity to go to school for free. Yeah. Well, you know what I like about what you were just communicating right there? Is it's true that sometimes if we have too many advantages that we're born into, it can make us a little lazy. It can make us not want to work so hard. So, you know, this football determination that you had, this discipline that you had as an athlete to go out and earn this scholarship is what led you into football. And I mean, without being led into those things and being able to cultivate your passions, I mean, would you have been the trainer to Drew Brees? Would you have you know, been where you're at today. I mean, hard to tell. No, but let me tell you this. When I was growing up and I was probably 11, 12, 13 years old and we didn't have money and my friends, the, the, the ponds would freeze and they'd all go ice skating, but I, I didn't have ice skates. So when I, when I first wanted ice skates, my mom went to this store called Two Guys. That's the name of this. It was Two Guys. And I still remember the skates were $11.99. They were figure skates. I couldn't play ice hockey with figure skates. My ankles hurt so bad. So I got a paper route. And this paper route, I took, I took pride. And I was going to be the best paper delivery boy uh, in, in the neighborhood. And I, would, I took such pride in that, that all of a sudden I was getting 20, 30, 40 bucks a week by delivering the paper. That was my first experience as an entrepreneur, which led me to like when it would, when it would snow out and I would shovel driveways. Before it would snow, I'd have five or six driveways lined up. So if I could make 20 bucks a driveway, I could make 100 bucks. And I started putting money away in my savings account when I was 12, 13, 14 years old, to the point where my mom still jokes to this day, she's 87 years old, lives in Florida, that one time I made her in, uh, deposit a $1, a 
a dollar in my savings account. I'm like, mom, I'm going to put a dollar in the savings account. I'm going to let it accrue. So these are the young, young lessons I learned about, you know, raking leaves and shoveling snow and, and, and my paper route. Like I don't, I haven't talked about these before on a podcast, but these were my first entrepreneurial lessons about money that I was like, if I grind and I, I rake leaves and I shovel snow and I help people out, I can hustle and I can actually afford a pair of ice skates or I bought my first bicycle because I couldn't uh, uh, count on my mom or dad to, to get me one of these things. So it was, it was a lesson that I knew that through hard work, I could buy little things that would bring me some happiness. And thank you for sharing that because that's what our show is about, right? Some people would call those adversities. But you mm -hmm. see these adversities become advantages because you started your business school back then. You started learning the value of a dollar back then. You started True. learning how to grind and do what it takes to get the things you wanted back then. And those are habits you get to carry forward. So let's go back to your dad. I, I know that that's, uh, you said that we could talk about anything that we wanted today. And uh, I know that you and your dad were very close and you, you got to go off to school and you got to play football. And, uh, you know, how long did you still have your dad in your life? Uh, as you went through. School. Yeah, well, it's interesting. Between five years old and 10 years old, my dad wasn't in my life. Mm -hmm. He had moved to Colorado. He was out of my life. And I think through a life epiphany, um, he knew that he was going to miss raising me and two of my older sisters because the other ones had been out of the house. So when I was 10, he moved back to New Jersey and came back into my life. And um, interesting enough, my father, when he was just 48 years old, had his first heart attack. I was with him when it happened. I still remember vividly, we were going to a high school football game. He keeled over uh, these, these bleachers and he's like, man, I got chest pains. I'm like, come on, dad, it's kickoff time. We got to go. He's like, just give me a couple minutes. And he was short of breath. But again, I was, I was young. Um, I didn't really understand what was going on. Well, that he, two days later, had a triple bypass. And for those next 10 years, from the time I was 10 to 20, I had more of a dad in my life for 10 years than most people have in a lifetime. Because my dad, who moved back for basically myself and again to my sisters, all of a sudden he started pouring into me. He was attending every practice, every game. I only played soccer at that time. He said, Todd, listen, I want you to try baseball, basketball, and football. And if you don't like it, you don't have to do it. But I tried it base because I wanted to please my dad like every young son. I wanted to please my father. And all of a sudden, I was really good at baseball. And I made the all-star team. And I was really good at basketball. I made the all-star team. And I played football. And I was really good at football. And I'm like, dang, I could play these sports. And I really love it. And, and um, next thing I know uh, my father was by my side all the way through, um, you know, graduating high school. And then I accepted that scholarship to William and Mary as a quarterback. And I had some great opportunities growing up, you know, to go to West Point and the Naval Academy and Rutgers and Illinois and James Madison. And I chose William and Mary because of the academic reputation. And there was always something about men that had such a great reputation, both scholastically as well as athletically. Um, and, yeah, all the way up until I was age 20 years old, that was my, when my next adversity uh, hit. Yeah. So, you know, it sounds like if we could take a lesson from your father, which I think is awesome that we get to honor him in this way, your father from age 10 to about 20 realized the value of time. True. That's a, that's a lesson that uh, your father and I both share. You know, I lost a decade of my life to incarceration, and I think I look at time a lot different than anybody else. I mean, at first I was trying to make up for lost time, but still every day I'm acutely aware of how valuable time is and what it's like to lose so much of your life. Uh, mm. so I think that your father 
found from his adversity uh, a very important lesson that allowed him to have a deeper relationship with you because he said, you know, tomorrow's not promised, right? Mm -hmm. Is that where we're at? You know, do you think that that was kind of your dad's uh, sense? With how I think I think my father realized that he missed out on being a dad to my older brothers and sisters and said, you know what, I got to make up for it. And because his health had failed, um, I just happened to be the fruit of, of his realization that, um, that he needed a change. And he went from a very type one driven, it was all about success and money to all of a sudden now, it wasn't about that, it was about time. And um, when I was 18, I went away to college and William Mary is about seven hours from New Jersey where I grew up and every single day, for three and a half years, I actually got a handwritten note in the mail, like old snail mail. Email didn't exist in, in the late 80s, early 90s. Every day on the back of a McDonald's menu, I still have many of them, I would get a handwritten note every day. I mean, every, I would go to the post office and I never got the silver smile. The silver smile is when you go to the post office and there's nothing in there, but the silver box, uh, there was always a note and there was always press clippings from our local Asbury park press newspaper. And I always felt loved always. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and then, then life changed. I was a, I was a junior, um, in college. I was 20 years old. It was February. I'm taking a kinesiology exam and, uh, I got a phone call literally in the middle of the exam. When I say I got a phone call, I, the cell phones didn't exist in 1992, but someone called the kinesiology office at William Mary, uh, my sister, and said, hey, dad just had a heart attack and it's not looking good. You need to come home. And I'm like, what? So I got on a plane. Like, I don't even remember. The only thing I remember from that time is I remember flying uh, from that, from a dare gymnasium to my, my dorm room, I picked, I packed a quick bag, got a small Bible for whatever reason. And next thing I know, I was on a plane in New Jersey and um, I got to see my dad one more time. Amen to that. Amen to that. Well, thanks for sharing that, that story, Todd. You know, one of the things, knowing a little bit about that, uh, you, you went through a lot of emotions, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you just lost your father, uh, you know, one of the closest people to you in your life. And, uh, and so it took you a little time to get back to school. Yeah. yeah. I think that there was a little uh, divine intervention when you came back to school. So can you share a little bit about, you know, what that was like, you know, losing your dad, deciding to go back and, and you know, just that story, if you will. Yeah. And, you know, being a dad now of an 18 year old, you know, a 16 and, and a 13 year old, I get emotional. I'll think about because like, man, I don't I wouldn't want to die now. Like, you know, I, I got too much time with my kids. That I got to teach lessons and wisdom. Um, when that happened, I did a lot of soul searching and I questioned my faith. And I grew up Catholic. I, I went to church every Saturday night or Sunday morning. I, would, I, would, I, I was a good faith-based kid. But let me tell you what, when that happened, I questioned everything. Like, I didn't want to go back to school. I all of a sudden didn't care about football. And I was in the middle of battling for a starting job, and I didn't care. I remember it was like 17 degrees back on the Jersey Shore. And I remember running sprints uh, in, the, in the ice cold. And I, I remember crying so bad. Like, what am I doing? I just want to get in a car and drive across the country and get lost because of the pain. I'm like, nothing else matters. And it was like that for weeks and weeks. And 
I finally, close to four weeks later, I went back to school. Um, I actually ended up doing really well in school that semester, but I was distracted. Um, and it took me months and months to really do a lot of soul searching to rectify my relationship with Christ and, and, and God and say, well, you know, how, how selfish of me to think that my father should still be here because he's in a better place as, as he was a man of faith as well. Uh, he was in heaven. And as a believer, um, you know, he is in heaven and he's in a better place, but I grew up quick. You know, I was now 21 years old and, and uh, left without my father. And the lessons he taught me were, were quite amazing because here's the thing, uh, Travis and Cindy is when I went back to school, Again, close to a month later, where did I go first? The mailbox. <laughs> what was in the mailbox? A letter from my dad written the day before he died. And, and did he know or not? Because in that, in that email that was handwritten, he said, Todd, I don't care what you do someday, whether you're an attorney, you're a, you're a doctor, you're a teacher, you're a coach, whatever you do, do it to the best of your ability and impact the world. That's all it said. It was leave. It was foreshadowing of like, it doesn't matter what you do for a living. It's the lives that you touch and the people that you, you really impact. And to me, I'll never forget that. It's like, he knew he was going to pass or something. He had this premonition and here I have a letter. I still have the letter um, that says, it doesn't matter what you do. Don't be defined by what it is that you do. Uh, be defined by the number of lives that you touch. And um, for me now as a, as a father, as a husband, as a, as a leader, as a coach, as a trainer, as an author, speaker, the things I do, I don't get so carried away on nowadays always like, what is it that I do? It's how am I touching lives? You know, is it a book or is it a speech or is it a talk? Is it a podcast like the Overcomer podcast? Is it my own show that I'm doing? Like sometimes you get caught up in titles, but the one thing I always come back to is, man, at the end of the day, all it is is about touching lives and, and uh, creating a valuable experience and, and spending time with the ones you love. Wow. Well, I hope the listeners are getting the goosebumps <clears throat> that I'm getting from that because, I mean, I know that you're a man of faith and I appreciate you sharing your spirituality, you know, because no matter what your belief, we're all coming from the one, we're all going back to the one. Uh, and, you know, it seems like your father was able to reach out, you know, from the other side and say, you know, Todd, Here's a little encouragement for your direction in life. But again, just a little divine intervention leading you on your path, you know? And I mean, so challenging you to, to pursue your purpose, pursue your mm. passions. And, and you did, you did. So, you know, we keep playing football and, and let's talk a little bit about where football leads. You know, you, you hoped it would lead to the NFL. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't lead there exactly, but you still had a working plan. Uh, so let, let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I call them signs from above. All I right. think if we can slow down enough sometimes, even in the middle of the struggle, when you're in the middle of a struggle, if you could slow down enough, go for a walk or get some quiet time or just slow down the mind so it's not just racing all the time, that there are these signs that appear from different people or messages that you might be listening to, perhaps it's on today's show, and all of a sudden you're like, you know, a light bulb moment goes off. And for me, um, when my football career was done at William Mary, I didn't have the career that I wanted. So I'm like, you know what? Most people would stop. 
I'm going to go overseas and I'm going to play over there. And that's the circuitous route to the NFL. Because I knew that I was pretty good. I knew I didn't have uh, the opportunities I wanted in college. So I go over to, to Europe and I'm, I'm playing. I, I uh, make the long story short, I'm playing in Berlin, Germany. And in Berlin, Germany, I, I get picked up by the Amsterdam Admirals of the World Football League, which by that they were an NFL-sponsored uh, league at the time. And when um, I, I ended up uh, getting replaced over there by a guy named Kurt Warner, who is, <laughs> if you follow football, was a, a, a quarterback who went on to uh, from the from the arena football into becoming NFL folklore as Kurt Warner is a Hall of Famer now, um, so uh, but my my route in football ended with a serious back injury and um, I was a, as a quarterback you're taught to do these hook slides to avoid getting hook uh, to get avoid uh, getting hit and these two linebackers came in and boom uh, took their helmet right on my back and um, I had suffered a lot of injuries in my career, five concussions and multiple strains and sprains, but never had I felt physical pain like that in my life. And it was 1995 Exxon Provence, France. And um, I remember getting carted off the field and thinking I'm done. There's no way I'm coming back from this. This is bad news. And the doctor in French said, does uh, he have a bad problem? Does he have three herniated discs and spinal stenosis and degenerative back disease? The football career is over. And I'm like, man, that's not what I wanted to hear. And when he told me I needed surgery, I'm like, I'm not having surgery in France, but I couldn't sit up to get home to fly to the state. So I spent the next two months over in France rehabbing and doing everything I could. And, and um, that was the beginning of a journey, close to a five-year journey to try to heal my own back pain without having surgery, which ultimately led me to opening my own studio and training with mentors and gurus in the healing world and both the Western world, the Eastern, Eastern world to uh, literally just try to solve my own back pain. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that injury changed your life, but it changed our life too. Right. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, because that was the day that your life changed and little did I know years in the future, you know, that injury that took you off the course of going to the NFL was going to change not only the life of those that come to journey because Without you, Todd, uh, we would not be where we are today. You know, we've had the pleasure of, you know, speaking and different conferences and writing books and growing a franchise and all those kind of things. And, and you know, we appreciate your mentorship. So without, if you had gone on to the NFL, we certainly would have enjoyed your games. But now, <laughs> now, I mean, uh, oh my gosh, the lives you've impacted by helping so many well, and using the path. You know? let, let me share something deeper because I don't want to brush by this. It's important. Because when you're going through pain, you're lost. I was lost, Travis. I was down. I was depressed. Like my dream from 5 to 25 was to play in the NFL. Right. And all of a sudden, I'm in this 600-square-foot apartment, and the TV's in French. I have no family, no friends around. And I'm in pain, getting shot up twice a day. And I'm, I'm lost. I literally am depressed, thinking, what am I going to do with my life now? And it didn't matter. Like I had a degree in kinesiology. I had already had my, I'd already gone to massage therapy school because one of my off seasons, I went to massage therapy school in Atlanta, Georgia, thinking, Hey, someday I can use my hands-on experience in physical therapy or chiropractic, or if I go to be a doctor, um, I was lost, lost. Like I didn't know what my dream was anymore. I didn't have a dream. I only had one dream and now it was shattered. And I, I share that because 
I don't want to brush over it thinking, oh, I just like brushed the, the injury aside. And next thing I know, I discovered a, a new dream. Guys, it was years. It was years of soul searching and, and one step at it, uh, to the next of I was on using Vicodin and I needed Vicodin to survive. And, and I, I, just to get to the next day, I was like, what can I do uh, work-wise to try to discover, am I going to take a teaching coaching job, which I contemplated, or am I going to uh, go into chiropractic school or am I going to, uh, what, what are the next steps? And that's, and that's the soul searching I was doing. And I was 25 years old and my friends are all in New York City making good money uh, on Wall Street. And here I am unemployed with a back injury, basically hooked on Vicodin thinking, I don't even have a direction. I don't know where I'm going. I, I don't know. All I do, I just want to get out of pain. Oh, That's where you. I was. Thank you for mm -hmm. sharing that because, you know, our pain becomes the best part of who we are. The depth of your struggle will determine the height of your success. So we're talking to a successful person here. But if you're talking to a successful person, then they probably struggled. You know, in fact, I guarantee you that they've struggled. And just how much they've struggled is going to tell you how far they can go, right? Mm. You've got to dig down deep. And, and how deep have you gone? Cindy, you want to Yeah. So from there, how did, how did Fitness Quest 10 start? So <laughs> when you came back from Europe, you, you went where? You went back to Jersey? You went... Yeah, I didn't know where to go, so I went home. <laughs> I, I had no money, so I went home to New Jersey. I'm on the Jersey Shore. My sister owned uh, and owns a day spa back there. It's 35 years now uh, called Therapeutic Touch. And I was basically trying to rehab my back. I was getting chiropractic treatment. I was, I was still on the Vicodin, and I was getting massage therapy and doing physical therapy. And, and uh, one day... Uh, my sister Patty says to me, she goes, hey, this, this uh, neighbor of ours who lives over on one Mount Street wants to know if you can work on his, uh, on his back. And um, I said, sure, I've, absolutely. I have nothing else to do. So I'm like, one Mount Street, that's that mansion on the beach. Who is that? Well, it ended up being this guy named Michael King. Michael King produced Oprah Winfrey and Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. And I met Michael's wife, Jenna, and I met Michael King and uh, King World Productions literally are the is the production company. Michael and his brother, Roger, made Oprah Oprah because no one wanted Oprah in the 80s. They had to go sell her door to door in New York City. And I all of a sudden became Michael King's trainer and body worker and massage therapist and basically healer. All I was doing, guys, I was taking my process that I was doing to heal my own back pain. And when Michael said he was overweight and he said, Todd, I got a really bad back. I'm like, I'll just have him do what I was doing for my back. So <laughs> I was basically doing the stuff that I was doing for my back. All of a sudden I started working with Michael King and guess what? I helped his back so much. Michael started bringing all his Hollywood celebrities down to the Jersey shore. They also lived in Malibu, um, California. And the next thing I know, Michael said, Hey, listen, Todd, I know you're going to Auburn for grad school. Um, but I, I have a proposition for you. I'd like for you to come to Malibu, California. We're going to live in a colony and um, I'm going to introduce you to everyone in Hollywood, every producer, actor, actress that you ever wanted to work with. And um, I'm going to help open the doors in health and fitness. Cause if you're going to be in health and fitness, it all starts in California. I said, no, thank you. I'm a Jersey guy. I'm going down to Auburn, Alabama for grad school. I want my master's degree. He said, I think that's a major mistake. I said, sorry, that's what I'm doing. Um, so check this out, Travis, you'll appreciate this. I had a job lined up to go into prison at 3.30 in the morning and lead PT five days a week. And that was going to pay for grad school. 
Yeah, I never, I never told you that. So no. that was my GA job, graduate assistant. I was going into like this prison and this youth detention on Tuesdays and Thursdays. And I was going to teach PT. I'm like, hey, if it pays for grad school, I didn't have any money saved up. I'm going to do that. And then Michael King goes like this. After I told him no, like five times, I'm not going to California. I'm not going out there. He said, listen, I believe in you so much and the path that you've been through. And I know you can help me and my friends that if you come out there and you decide that you want grad school, I'll pay for your graduate school. I said, okay, I'm coming to California, baby. <laughs> so I, I, next thing already. I know, next yeah. thing I know, I'm living in Sting's Beach House, literally in Malibu, California. Weeks later, I'm in Sting's Beach House, the, the singer's thing, not the wrestler's thing. I'm in Sting's Beach House. I got Tom Hanks trick-or-treating uh, to the house. And I'm like, how did I go from the Jersey Shore? I was heading to already had my apartment in, in Auburn, Alabama. And now I'm in Malibu, California, living in the colony with Rob Reiner on one side, Tom Hanks, my neighbor on the other side. I'm shaking my head thinking, talk about God intervention and God having a plan. Like I didn't even, I was like, how did I get here? And that was, that's how ultimately see when you ask how fitness question opened up is because less than a year into doing that job, I don't know if any of you have ever had this kind of job before, but listen, the money was so good and it was so easy that I was unfulfilled. Let me repeat that. It was so easy. I was unfulfilled. I didn't feel challenged. I felt more like an elbow piece. And I, I, I was like, I wasn't able to help the number of people I wanted to help. They had a lot of money. Matter of fact, Michael King sold King World Productions for $1 billion when I was training him. And he was asking me, hey, Todd, do you think I should sell? I'm like, yes, sell. <laughs> Billion dollars. So- um, I just wasn't happy. And I said, I don't feel like driving back across the country. So I was like, I'm just going to drive down to San Diego and I'm going to grad school. I got a, I, I got a, a GTA job, graduate teaching assistantship job, teaching weight training and racquetball. And that was going to be in the next two years. And when I went to grad school, first day I met my future wife in grad school on day number one, I met Melanie and I went back to being a poor college student. And let me tell you what, I felt like I had my life back. I felt like I'm on the right path again. And I was in grad school. I was getting my master's degree. And I told Michael, listen, I know you offered to pay grad school. I don't want it. I want to do it myself. And I did it myself because I didn't want any freebies. I didn't want any handouts. And that goes back to the, how you got started. Like, it does, I, it does. Right? And I was like, I want to do this myself. I want to yeah. pay grad school myself. I want to pay my way through school. I had five jobs, seven days a week. I was an athletic trainer at USD getting my 2000 hours to become an ATC. I was an adjunct faculty uh, at a community college. I was doing uh, massage therapy. I'd literally flip up my bedroom mattress in my condo and do in, in apartment massage therapy with whoever would pay me the 50 bucks to do massage therapy. I was doing personal training and I was a GTA. I had five jobs literally for two years so I could pay my way through graduate school and I was never happier. That led me to op ultimately opening up my, my studio, Fitness Quest 10 in year 2000. Um, no clients, very little money, um, no business plan. And I'm like, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I'm going to go for it. And next thing I know, I opened it up with uh, carpet on the floor, refurbished equipment. Um, not a lot of know-how, but a lot of heart and a lot of willpower to help people. Wow. That is such an amazing story. I mean, you want to, by the way, Todd, just uh, FYI, in case you ever felt like you missed out, 
the training in Malibu is much better than training people in prison. So uh, you did good. Good choice there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, never, I never questioned that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to give you that confirmation. but Especially at 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, right, right, right. But, uh, you know, the, the person that you were created to be and, you know, we're, we're born with passions and gifts inside us and, and also things are cultivated within us. Like there's a life that was that was planned for us. Mm -hmm. and, and that life creates a person that can say no to Malibu. That newspaper boy said no to Malibu because he knows how to earn and he knows how to grind and he knows that he's not going to be happy unless he's doing what, what, what life has created him to do, right? I mean, so amazing. So. There, you know, I'm so glad that we did this podcast because, Todd, we've been friends for numerous years, but I have learned so much more about you <laughs> through this, that stuff I did not even know. Yeah. I, it's, uh, it, it definitely tells me a lot about you and your work ethic and and who you are today. It explains. Oh, thanks, Cindy. I tell you, it's funny when I look back now, I remember being in Malibu and every day I would drive along the ocean to Santa, to Santa Monica and I'd work out because my day was done at 8 a.m. My only job was to train Michael King and every now and then I'd have massage therapy or something like that. But at eight o'clock, I was done for the day. I'd go work out for like three hours in Santa Monica. And my friends were like, you got the best life. I mean, you, 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 this is the best. I'm like, no, actually, I don't like it's not fulfilling me. Like, I'm not looking for the easy life. I'm not looking to, to like just make a ton of money and 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 have it easy and pack it in. And I could have lived that way for years and and been fine. But it was never about the money. It was about the, the fulfillment and the happiness and, and helping people. And that's that's how my mom raised me. That's the, you know, my dad taught me that work ethic when I when he came back into my life. And and it was that decision to ultimately say, I'm going back to grad school and I'm going to get back to really li uh, living my true north, my, my purpose, even though I wasn't sure what that purpose was. I didn't leave Malibu thinking I'm going to go open a gym. It was like, you know what, I'm going to get back to doing something I said that I was going to fulfill personally, get a graduate degree and maybe go teach and coach um, or maybe open up a studio or a spa or wellness center someday um, on that. I didn't know. I just knew that that was the next step that I was supposed to take. Yeah, that's just awesome. How often has that letter been a, a guiding light for you? Because when I, when I think about it, like, you know, here's a guy that's living good in Malibu, but like knows inside his soul wait, I'm supposed to do what makes me happy. I'm supposed to do, uh, you know, like, you know, your father's words, right? You know, I said, I don't yeah. care what you do, but you got to be happy. And when you know that you're not, you're ready to go pursue something else because that's what you're destined to do. The letter has become more important as I've gotten older. It wasn't as important when I was, in, you know, 25 to 30 years old, because um, remember now, when I moved to Malibu, I was still taking Vicodin, guys. Right. I, I, I was, I still was in back pain. But guess what? The, the route of healing took me there for a reason because I, did, I wasn't brought to Malibu necessarily to just work with Michael King. That's where I met one of my most influential mentors named Dub Lee. Dub Lee was a healer, a healer. He taught me all about fascia and connective tissue and rolfing and Feldenkrais work and energy work from Tunu Roshi. Next thing I know, I'm meditating for an hour. And, and guess what? After session six of the 10 of the rolfing sessions, that's when I actually flushed out and detoxed 
every Vicodin and anti-inflammatory and painkiller I've ever taken in my life. And at that point, you know, it was, it was a lot uh, from all the back injuries. And I learned a whole new language about healing and Dub opened that world up to me. I would have never met Dub Lee who ended up being such a huge influence in my my uh, body work and healing world, because now I was brought into the world of fascia and healing. And that led me to ultimately start working eventually when I opened Fitness Quest 10 with elite athletes. Because guess what? I was the sports massage therapist for the San Diego Chargers for two years. That's what led me to LaDainian Tomlinson and Drew Brees. No one knows that story. Well, back up. It all started when I was in that room in France crying, like, where's my dream? What am I supposed to do? God had a master plan. I didn't trust that plan. I just wanted to get out of France and get out of pain. And all along, it took me about five years, five years to go through it from 25. I opened just before I turned 30, which, which I didn't know that was going to be the master plan. So we talk about overcoming a lot of times when you're in the battle, you don't think there's a master plan. You're just struggling to stay alive. You're just struggling to have hope for the day to, to like, how am I going to get through this day? How am I not either going to pop another pill or how am I going to uh, get out of pain or how am I going to just find my way? What am I supposed to do in this world? And that's what it was back then. Wow, thank you for sharing that. That's so good because so often people think that it's only the good things that show up in their life or the good people that are actually pointing them in certain directions or, or helping to lead their life where it needs to go. But we find answers in our pain. So it wasn't just you crying in France, like, you know, what am I going to do? But even in your addiction, you're being led to a person that would be changing your life. And, and your, your experience was more powerful because of the mistakes you make. And being a man of faith, you must realize that, that you know, God can take what was intended for evil and use it for good, right? You know what I mean? Right. So addictions aren't something that we should, you know, pursue but in our addiction, we can find a healer that becomes a game changer in our life. And then we go on and become a game changer in other people's lives. And, and hence, here we are, you know, training NFL athletes, right? You know? yeah, and one thing I'd say in all of this, if there's a lesson that could be extracted is one thing I got good at was trusting my intuition. Mm -hmm. I learned to trust intuition in this. And this was something I worked on because coming from a very Western world and a very cerebral world, I, again, I had my degree, I had been multiple certifications, but I also through the healing world learned and massage therapy school and my sister, who I would consider a healer, I, I learned to really be able to tap into my heart and my intuition and to listen to that and trust that. And that's tough. Because when you're, when you're listening to intuition, it's not telling you an answer. It's not, it's not telling you where you're going to end up. It's just an infinite wisdom. I call that spirit. You're tapping into your spirit and being led by that and having faith and trust in that. And that's one thing that to this day, I, I've, I've always been pretty good at, at tapping into my intuition. Um, not that it always works out the way I want it to, but I think there's a lot of wisdom in intuition and it's even now, I mean, 25 years later, uh, it's like you constantly have to tap into what's your, what's your gut saying? What's your intuition saying? How much did your meditation help you with that? Let me tell you what, meditation was agony at first. Agony. I hated it. It, uh -huh. was, it was torture. 
Mm. And it like the type of meditation that I learned was called sitting Zazen that double E'd have us do for one hour. You have to sit cross-legged and you couldn't move. I couldn't sit cross-legged because my back was so jacked up that I couldn't even sit cross-legged. So every time that you'd, you'd move or have a scratch, he'd hit this gong. And I was a failure at meditation. Like I was bad. Let me tell you, all of a sudden I started to, I started to learn how to sit for five minutes in complete stillness. I learned to sit for 10 and then 20 and then 30 and ultimately an hour in, in early morning and to sit there and to not allow your, your mind to go off to crazy places. Um, to this day, the days I find that when I am meditating, even if it's for five, 10, 20 minutes, those days where I could just sit in silence and stillness are the days where I'm most balanced and my energy is most uh, even keeled. And that's important. And that's a hard thing to do. I always say the hardest exercise anyone could do is, is to be silent with their mind. It's not lifting the heavy kettlebells and the dumbbells. It's to be in silence and stillness and to tap in and, and let that spirit work through you. Um, it was very hard, Travis. It was, it was very hard. It still is. It still is. I think it's, it's, uh, it's something that I need more of. Most people need more of is just trying to quiet the busy mind and the mind that's always racing, always wondering what's next or what should I be doing or, or those things that all of us have. I'm no different, but it's in, in the, in the prayer time, quiet time, meditation time where that infinite wisdom is always revealed. Yeah. Well, it's taken me over 40 years of being alive to now be pursuing meditation. Mm. Uh, I noticed that you used three things that were synonymous. One was intuition, one was being in spirit, and the other was being in tune. And they all seem to have to do with that. And that's why I asked about meditation. Wayne Dyer said on an audible that I was listening to the other day, he said that the language of God is silence. Mm. Right? Can we silence ourselves enough to tune into our spirit, to have good intuition to feel in tune right and so that was another discipline that you had to learn that was painful to learn right you know in our struggle we find our strength i struggled for five minutes then i had 10 minutes and then right. i got for an hour so in the struggle is the strength and and that is the message of today's podcast we wanted to reveal the real todd dirk into the world i've been blessed to be part of your mastermind part of the power of 10 group and really get to know you as a friend, as a mentor. Um, you've just been so much to us, Todd. You're like family to us. And, and, you know, we just appreciate you so much. But, you know, I think a lot of times people that might just go to a idea world thing or wherever they go and see you speak, you know, they, they definitely see this, this awesome uh, energy, enthusiastic guy, you know, I mean, it's just amazing. He's out there, you know, but do you know where he came from to get to where he's at? And, and that's what I wanted to show to everybody today, that, that there are adversities that become your advantage. That in your struggle, you find the strength. And then that strength carries you on to the next step. There are these divine appointments in our life, and they're disguised as challenges, right? And, and that's, what, that's what we've been talking about this whole episode. So, so Todd... Thank you for sharing. Cindy, anything yeah, else before? No. I just uh, appreciate you being on here and um, being vulnerable and, and sharing because that, that's a lot of stuff. You went through a ton, a ton of stuff. I knew some of it, but I did not know all of it. So you, mm. you've had your struggles um, from a very young age um, and you've worked hard to get where you're at. So yeah, well, I appreciate you well, sharing. Well, thank you. And I, I would remind myself, you know, the the struggles aren't over, right? Like uh -huh. it's, 
it's it's there's always a struggle in some way, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. Um, so going through those struggles now upon reflection, I'm very, very grateful for the life that I've had with those struggles. I've had a lot, a lot of positive things that have happened. Um, and those are what people typically see. But I do know it's the struggle that always sharpened me to prepare me for those times that when things were good, I was always humbled enough to know that at any time you could be brought back down to your knees in physical pain, mental pain, emotional pain, spiritual pain. And I don't know what lies ahead, but I'm prepared for it. Or whatever that may be um, is uh, I know that we're not always promised that things are going to be easy, but I do know that uh, when you're strong on all levels um, that you're prepared for whatever that is. And, and I'm, I'm blessed to, uh, to be, uh, a father and a husband now and to be a leader and coach to many people. And, uh, in a lot of ways, guys, I, I, I don't know if my biggest struggle has been, has been faced yet. Mm-hmm. It's, it's weird because you think about life and I don't know if you guys ever thought this, but maybe because life has been a struggle. Sometimes I want struggle. I, I don't want struggle, but sometimes I'm like, you know what? The next struggle I have is going to take me to a deeper place to make me more of a man than I'll, I could do when things are going smooth. I don't want struggle. I shouldn't say like I want it, but I do know that every time there's an adversity or a challenge that it's always taken me to a, to a deeper place that I found a sense of peace in the battle, in the fight, because I get more connected to God. I get more connected to my divine purpose. And um, although, you know, you guys have highlighted some of those things, I, I do believe that, you know, whatever the next 50 years brings me, that there might be a struggle in there that really allows me to magnify the impact that I have. Like when I say I, I, I want to impact 10 million people, because I don't know what that's going to look like. I don't know what that's going to be and how I'm going to do it. I, I don't. I just know that I'm going to be open to receiving whatever comes my way and God's going to use me in a way as he always has since I've been five years old to, uh, to reveal that to the world. I love a man who just celebrated his big five O's <laughs> next 50 years. So true, and, true. And recognizing that what we ask for in life is going to come with a struggle, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we didn't just ask to impact mm-hmm. 10 million people. It's like, well, let's see, what will I have to overcome in order to do that? So awesome. Yeah. Uh, you know, everybody's going to want more of Todd Durkin. And just for any listener that doesn't know how to connect, follow you or uh, anything else, what should they do? Man, they, a couple things. They got a podcast called the Todd Durkin Impact Show. If you want that along with the Overcomer Show, you got two great podcasts right there. And then social media. Uh, it's my name, Todd Durkin. Uh, you can just check out at Todd Durkin on Instagram uh, or go to my website, ToddDurkin.com. All that stuff is there. So uh, love the opportunity to connect. I love connecting with people. I love hearing people's stories, Travis and Cindy. Obviously, I know your guys' story. That's why I always say live a life worth telling a story about. What's your story? All of us have a story. Every kid I coach has a story. Every mom or dad, every grandma, grandpa, they all have a story. And you just, you know, you just asked me, you know, my story and, and that and did a wonderful job at that. But I love to, to get into people's stories and understand what makes them tick. And hopefully uh, through our conversation today, there was someone's life who's been impacted. Awesome. Live a life worth telling a story about. That's what this podcast is all about. You know, mm. that in our stories, you know, we can share each other's strengths and inspiration and give you encouragement that you will make it to the other side. And we hope that all the listeners heard some things today. I'm sure that they did. 
that they can find in there. Okay, I'm going through something right now, but there's something good waiting for me on the other side. So so thank you so much, Todd, for what you shared today. Thank you for being a guest on the Overcomers Podcast Show. We appreciate it. Thanks, Travis. Thanks, Cindy. Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Overcomers Podcast sponsored by Journey 333. When I am not hosting the Overcomers Podcast, I am working at one of our fitness franchises so that I can continue to help people overcome adversity on a daily basis. That's right. People come to the Journey 333 fitness franchises because they want a coach in their life. They want somebody to help them overcome the adversities of life, motivate them to higher levels of greatness, bring out their potential, help them lose weight, get off medications, fight depression, fight anxiety. That's what we do on a regular basis. If you feel like you want your life to be about helping more people to overcome their adversities, if you feel like you're an overcomer and you want to create more overcomers, then maybe owning a Journey 333 franchise would be for you. To find out more, go to www.journeyfitness333.com.